like, <laughs> that was the the first text of of Friday morning. Right? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. leaving, like you have to listen to this song. To listen to this song. <laughs> I knew if anybody can appreciate that song off his album, it'd be yeah. <laughs> really good album, by the way. Oh yeah, it doesn't strike me as um, like particularly enjoyable to listen to. It's one of those things where it's like I can rec- I recognize the artistry and the importance of it and the message and all that. It doesn't seem pleasant to listen to speaking of pleasant i mean there's one song that's essentially him and another female rapper yelling at each other yeah did you listen to it i listened to like 30 seconds of it yeah i saw people posting the clean version (laughs) (laughs) why why even bother (laughs) just just put make an instrumental right at that point yeah um what speaking of pleasant uh what'd you think of the new kevin morby oh i didn't listen to it I know. Oh, okay. I listened to that single a while ago. This is a photograph? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you even warned me about whatever that corny-ass line is. I can't remember now. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... No mas, no mas. Right, yeah. I'll prep myself for it. And it is so much worse. You can't prep yourself for it. It's just so terrible. I, I can't get into... He's got His first album is really good, and his third album was really good. Everything after that, Harlem it's like River, listening to like the nursery rhymes. The That's the first one. Yeah. The um, sec, the third one is Singing Saul has that yeah. song on it. So I don't know if that's the name of the album. Yeah. Yeah, I Ugh. think it's fantastic. Okay. And then I've been listening to a lot of other. Well, tell me, uh, great what music you think that of you would a hate. Hickory Dickory Dock or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, if Kevin Morby sang, I'd love it. I'm sure you would. I mean, I would love essentially what rhyme, he's doing. A rhyme album. Um, I'm trying to think of one more maybe we can talk about, but anyway. Um, yeah, a lot of good bitch music out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there's been a lot of good music this year, period. It has been a good year. Um, oh, you you had... A cryptic thing in the notes that I'm yeah so I wanted to talk to you about how stocks work um and specifically I thought that was code it's not okay it's literally stocks I was like ooh, what is this what's this little mystery and and you and you said in the notes it says don't don't research don't research right so and and there and I say this with peace and love I don't expect you to know the answer to this I don't know the answer to it listen I told you the other day, I have failed in my challenge to myself to be a better communicator on this podcast. I'll own okay. up to it. All right. Okay. So listen, part of it is me not saying anything when I don't have anything to say. Okay. Well, specifically, my question is how many stocks? So you, I can go to the stock market and say, I want to buy an Apple stock, right? Wait, wait. I go to whoever and I buy the stock, no, no, wherever I, I buy the stock from. Right? Can I, can I, I go to your, Mr. Your stock scenario? Market. 
<laughs> so at least I can go to stock or right. I can say, give me Apple and stock's going to know, right? But my question is, if I buy one Apple stock, that is one Apple stock out of how many? Is there just an unlimited number of stocks or is there a set? The company goes public and there's 1,000 stocks and that's the amount. Right? How does it work? Yeah. I know what you're asking. So one thing that I'll say driving over here, and this is probably part of the communication thing that I just mentioned. That I shouldn't I shouldn't be talking like this. I should just answer your question, but instead I'm gonna tell a story. Okay. On the way over, um, my son and I were talking about what were we talking about? Um we were talking about Blockbuster. Okay, the video store. And other right. things that are or the movie type. Defunct. Yeah. Uh-huh. The 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 defunct store. Which we've talked about, I believe, because Blockbuster is awesome. I mean, all the like t- bad fees and stuff aside, as a concept, it's wonderful. It's amazing. I mean, I I am I would probably bet, and maybe this would be a horrible investment. It's not right. Re- we're not ready for this yet, but maybe in like 10 years that like a hipster video store like that might have some utility. Uh-huh. Like you, you'd have to, you know, carry movies that are not on streaming platforms. Maybe that's what you would do. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Just like older films and films should just dogma. Right. You know, and, and that, that would be your, your, uh, your rental. Mm-hmm. But, as we were talking, I just kind of said, you know, the, the the times have changed. Things have altered and shifted. And I feel like at this point in our lives, um, if we were our parents, we would we would know the shit out of stocks. We would know everything there is to know about stocks. Yeah. With the way the world is now, you and I haven't even been able to have a lot of interaction with the stocks mm-hmm. markets right mm-hmm. like that's just not something that i know my 401k is tied to it but in terms of like getting involved it's like i did i put ten dollars in on robin hood you know uh-huh. what i mean when it first launched as like a game yeah um so all that to say i don't know a lot about stocks but i feel like that's not on me that's just on the changing world we don't interact with stocks as much right and i'll go deeper and say, in stocks, what's interesting is that you can always buy into it, right? The only thing that changes is the price of the stock. Well, that's my question. How, if, because Julia told me it's unlimited. There is no set amount of stocks. But I don't understand how the price goes up and down if there's not a set number of stocks. Because what the value is just determined, like they just they're just pulling it out of thin air. Because you would think if there's a set amount of stocks, what's going to make the stock price go up is people selling, buying, and, and selling. Right, the demand is going up, As so someone sell, can charge someone more can for it. it. Right, and the reason they crash is because everyone's trying to dump it at the same time. You know, the 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 problem is with ownership. So the question always comes with like, who owns this company? And then there's always in those, uh, in those financial movies, there's always that 
thing where someone's like, we're going to lose control of the company. We have to have 51% of the stock. Exactly. 51% of what? So there has to be a certain amount. But nope, that could always be percentage. But there, how do you have a percentage if there's an unlimited number of something? How do you have a percentage of, how do you have 50% of infinity? No, based on how many people own it at the time. The people can always buy into it. But at the time, you always need to maintain 51% ownership. So you're constantly having to buy your own so you're stock. You're constantly having to adjust to make sure that you are within that margin or that there's built in protections, you know, at, th at that point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and that, like, you're uh, kind of to your point, I could just go look this up. I just don't care enough to look it mm -hmm. up. Listen, um, I could I could Google it right now. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Okay. Leave us, leave us another review. <laughs> How little we know. Speaking of, I wasn't even going to bring this up. Uh -huh. But now that we've gotten adjacent to it, I will. Had a, had a Bobo Cramp moment with another podcast. Oh, really? Where I almost jumped on there and was mm -hmm. like, these people don't know what they're talking about. Right. You recommended something to me, a podcast, right? Uh-oh. And yeah. I you you put the wrong podcast in initially. Uh-huh. Um, and so I pulled up I'm not gonna say who it is because I don't care. Okay. But I'm I, gonna I, let Ace outside real quick. Hold okay. On. But I pulled them up because at first yeah, I was just responding to your, uh, to your initial text. So I pull them up and I take a look, and they have an episode on succession. So I was like, oh, by that time you'd sent the clarifying text, so I realized, oh, he meant this other podcast. Okay. But I was like, oh, these guys. I used to listen to this. Podcast Wait a minute. A long time ago. Name the podcast, and I will bleep them out. I'll bleep them out of our podcast. So it was, you wanted to send me junk filter. Right, okay. And so I I used to listen to these other people a while ago, mm -hmm. fell off, and I was like, oh, well, I'll hear what they have to say about succession. Mm -hmm. And in the podcast, one of them was like, didn't really like the show. He was cool, on it, liked it, but didn't love it. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, he just asked this question, he goes, you know what I don't get? He's like, I don't understand what that, what was that book about? <laughs> uh -huh. And they're like, what? And he's like, the, the self-help book. Why'd they make such a big deal about that? What was that even about? Oh, oh, they're talking about severance. Yeah. Okay. Oh, did I say succession? You're saying succession, yeah. Well, I did, I did it <laughs> to myself. I played myself. And that's why I'm glad I'm not saying who it is. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, they, they were like, se severance. Um, you would have corrected me earlier if you weren't walking around. So that's <laughs> on you because you, you would have, I was trying to talk uh -huh. to nobody. Um, but severance, and he was like, yeah, what, what was the deal with the book? What was the deal with the self-help book? Mm -hmm. And the other hosts were like, oh, no, they didn't really have a good answer. I was like, it's, it's kind of the whole show is right. kind of a, about the self-help book. Yeah. Like, if you don't understand why the self-help book meant anything to those people on the inside, then I don't know that you were really understanding yeah, that, the show. that kind of seems like a bigger deal than not remembering some characters' names. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, if you're, if you're just like, I don't understand what that was all about. It's like, yeah, if the show's making a big deal about it, mm -hmm. 
then either it is a truly bad show because they don't know what they're doing or you're, you're missing the, like, try. Try yeah. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Think about it a little harder. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I almost, I was almost like, hey, these guys don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even understand what the book is. Yeah. Although one of them, I think you'd really like, because he openly admits to like sleeping through the stuff they <laughs> He just openly is like, I liked it. And they're like, yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, listen, I fell asleep through a lot of it, but this is Justin's type of guy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about. Let's talk about what are we going to talk about? Stops. Oh, I mistimed it. That was a long drum roll. You had to build up the anticipation. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, before we go on, I was going to make a quick little joke, and I'll make it here. Let's talk about how I want a one-word answer from you. Okay. Is is everything truly collapsing around us? Uh Oh, one-word answer. Oh, okay, I'll give it to you. Nope. Okay, that's good to... <laughs> I needed that. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I, I did just fill up my tank coming over here. So that's also one reason why yeah. I'm asking. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, okay, so part four of We Own This City. The best one yet. Yeah, you think? Yeah, for me. I still think the first episode's the best, probably. Um, my big takeaway from this episode was if episode two was the one where the system was to blame, Mm -hmm. this episode is like, no, Wayne Jenkins is just a really bad person. (laughs) (laughs) This one, to me, showed why David Simon says you can't review a show episode Mm -hmm. by episode. Last episode, I was the one who said, Bob, this is the problem of nonfiction is you can't really tell your own story. You got to tell the actual story and you, you know, you got to represent real people, which constrains you. And then this episode hits and all of a sudden the reason to tell a nonfiction story in the way that they're telling you, I think perfectly coalesces in the representation of the riots Uh and all the characters that are in it. Then you can portray something like that, something that we've seen time and time and time again. But I can watch it with fresh eyes because I'm, I'm more connected to the characters that are present in this. When I watched like the Freddie Gray protests or whatever, you're kind of watching, it feels disconnected. Mm-hmm. You're watching people angry out on the streets, you know, protesting but there's no real sense of understanding or deeper comprehension with this. I felt like I was able to process that whole situation clearer mm-hmm. and understand it better, which mm-hmm. is why I was like, yeah, this is, this is good. So when you have Jenkins, you have screaming down to the riots to go get in the fight. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is really good. This is actually illuminating. Okay. Uh, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, this is the episode with the least amount of Nicole Steele. You got like one scene. Great actress. Great actress. 
But I will say, even in this episode, which I love, her character has zero development. <laughs> Dude, yeah, whole, right. She just plays the same cipher in every single yeah. scene. There's a good, I've got a good uh, comment about that that I saved. Um, yeah, I kind of, uh, I guess I agree with your, I agree sort of philosophically about the protest stuff or the structure of the show, but practically I think the structure of the show in this episode especially has become kind of a drag for me, like the jumping around and all that, uh, because it kind of, to me, has started to feel like uh, like a checklist, you know? It's like, all right, here is... Let's get our scene where we show how corrupt Jenkins is. Let's get our scene where we show how much of a family man he is. Let's get our scene where it shows how admired he is. Let's get our scene with Nicole where she just lets another character mm-hmm. uh, monologue exposition mm-hmm. for 10 minutes and so then, we can spell everything out. And then she at the end gets to explain what that character was monologuing to her to the the even right. more wide-eyed yeah and you know, she's somehow lawyer. still shocked by all of it well yeah i mean well that that's the thing is she doesn't do anything with the like it's yeah. not like she's like and that's why we need to she just seems to passively be like yeah this is what's happening it's like yeah what are you doing with all this yeah information and and then you you cut to the other investigators who actually feel like they're they're doing something you know yeah they're investigating, moving things forward. And then you have the other guy that I even forgot about who they, they introduced. And he's, I, st- I, I, can't, I honestly can't tell you what his character is. He's in it for like a few seconds this episode. But he's the young guy, the, the, the young police officer uh-huh. who um, hid, what, what did he hide in like episode one or two? Or he's holding on to some piece of evidence. I don't know. So you don't even know who I'm talking about, right? No, I don't. Um, all right, I'm going to look that up while you, you monologue. Okay, so uh, I've got the recap here. Uh, we're going to hit it in broad strokes, but this is still taken from, is it Vulture? Uh, Vulture from Scott Tobias. Scott Tobias's recap. Uh, this sh- so the episode opens with that chase scene, right? The high-speed chase sequence is a staple yeah. of action movies and police procedurals. They inevitably end in crashes and arrests. And if the budget is large enough, there's a ballet of flipped vehicles and smashed f- fruit carts along the way. Yet there's almost never an accounting of collateral damage. What did you? How did you feel about the... I put high-speed in quotes, Chase, because... <laughs> it was through a residential neighborhood. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. it felt very much like a... Uh, HBO limited series car chase to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, again, it, it was kind of. So I I went back and looked at um. I think you're going to bring him up later. Who's the guy who does the Twitter feeds? Justin Fen- Fen- Felton. Felton. Fenton. And he did uh, a um. Fenton. He's the writer of the book. Okay. Yeah, he did a picture of the of the car crash. Mm-hmm. Actually, and it looked pretty consistent with yeah. what they portrayed sure and again doesn't seem like yeah they're going 90 mm-hmm. to get that it was like the car <laughs> was a smoked out ruin so yeah i mean 
it, I guess it, I'll say it was planned enough. I didn't notice it. But it was fine. Uh, Wayne's suspicion about the suspicious backpack has to be borne out now to justify the chase or at least mitigate the consequences for him since we're informed later that a narcotics offense is not enough to justify a continual high-speed chase. So he has drugs planted in the Acura and summons Suter to toss the car one more time in case they miss something. Um, how did you read that scene? Because when I watched it, my first thought was Suter knows what Jenkins is looking for, and so he plants drugs. But then as I was going back through the notes and the recaps and reading everything, the impression I got was some either Jenkins planted the drugs or someone else planted them and then Suter found them. But either way, I feel like it's left ambiguously enough that we still don't really know how um, complicit or involved Suter is with like the dirty side of things. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the questions from the real story too, is how involved was he? Because he portrays himself as being like doing enough to get by, but never doing something that would be mm -hmm. like a felony. Well, and later on in this episode too, the, uh, the, the task force agent that the FBI is interviewing talks about Suter telling him that he needs to just learn as much as he can from Jenkins and get out of the task force, basically. Right. Uh, I'm going to slide my phone to you. This is the guy. David McDougal. Oh, yeah. The guy who works with, with Poot. The, 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 guys, the guys who um, found the, se the second GPS tracker. Right, right. But, but it's like... So who are they in this whole thing? Like, they are the investigators that started the whole process. Right. But so they they they're not working with steel. No, they they started they started at the be my understanding is that they're at the like very the beginning. very beginning of the timeline and that's it. They they don't at least in the show they're not existing outside of that timeline. Yeah, so I guess I think that's my thing is like what happened to them? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, that that I think someone talked about that on the subreddit too. I think it's just that is kind of just a a um a facet of the jumping around. Yeah, he's in like, all six episodes. Right. So I'm like I'm like yeah, they they're doing I understand that they kicked everything off, but I'm like I again, it, it I think goes, that's it for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, it goes for the nature of jumping around so right. much. I'm like I lost their plot. Right. And and they're in it for like a few seconds still being like is do we got him now or what? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know where you guys are fitting. <laughs> yeah. So I listened to the companion podcast and they interview, uh, he interviews the female FBI agent and he interviews somebody else. I think maybe one of the writers talks briefly on the episode or maybe it's Justin Fenton himself. But anyways, on the companion podcast, they talk about with this car crash with the guy that um, Jenkins planted drugs on. He ends up getting 15 years in prison. The guy in the car with him gets three years. Once Jenkins is convicted, um, his sentence gets overturned and he gets released, Right. He ends up suing the city for $8 million. 
he all, then also gets sued by the family of the guy who died in the crash for $2 million. Um, and then apparently he got really paranoid about, because all this is public, right? He got really paranoid about people like coming after him for his money. So him and his girlfriend moved out of Baltimore and like on the way moving out, he got paranoid about her trying to steal money and he ends up shooting her. Um, and now he's back in jail. <clears throat> so, and this is also, I think one of the, um, one of the big, uh, purposes of this episode too is to sort of play a lot of those things out and to sort of really uh, show how uh, sort of like the butterfly effect that that these actions have on people, right? And that it's like I feel like a lot of this stuff gets decontextualized, even in you know people are like, well, it's just one bad cop or whatever. But it's like you think about even one bad cop does one bad or dirty thing and you've got somebody in jail who shouldn't be for decades. You know what I mean? Like that's inexcusable, right? You can't just sort of uh, hand wave that as just one bad cop. Yeah. And I think it's also the problem of, you know, from the outside looking in, you can feel like you have more clarity on the situation. And then you learn more and you realize, like, I knew nothing of what I was talking about. And in this, I remember growing up, again, in a more conservative environment and being told, like, yeah, these tough drug sentences are for users, right? Or not not, not just users, but for dealers. Mm-hmm. So don't have sympathy for them, you know? Yeah. Three strikes, you're out policy right. and stuff like that. And then if I ever like peeked over to look at what the other side, quote unquote, was was saying, what you'd hear is like, free this person, this is unjust, and um and the the, the drug laws are too um are too strong, right? Or are, are overblown. Yeah. And you 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 miss the context of those people are understanding how innocent people get trapped in this system. Mm -hmm. So when they're critiquing it, they're critiquing it from a level of experience of it that people from the outside don't have any curiosity to, to know. So I can broadly dismiss them by being like, you just want drug dealers back out on the streets. You just want people using, you know, everywhere and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, they're like, do I have to break it down like you're a child mm-hmm. to be like unjust cops mean unjust arrests, mm-hmm. high drug offenses mean those unjust cops can really mess with people mm-hmm. and have more control, which goes back to the 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 title of the show is said in this episode, right? We mm-hmm. own this city because they have all the power. So it's like, and it's so sad because it's like, no, yeah, you do actually have to break it down. Like, like I really was raised with a baby brain, right. you know, to be like, you, you're for druggies. You're for, right? It's, it's yeah. the old critique, right? Where it's like, Democrats are for um, uh, illegal immigrants and felons. Right. It's like, yeah. well, if 
if the system is unjust, then maybe a lot of felons shouldn't be felons. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, part four devotes much of its time to detailing Wayne's modus operandi, both as a crook and the ultimate cop's cop, two roles that are suggestively intermingled. Um, and so, so yeah, so basically this is the Jenkins episode. We get more Jenkins than we've ever gotten before. Now do you take it back that they're trying to show Jenkins as a sympathetic character? No, because I think they are, ultimately. I mean, I know they are because in the first podcast I listened to, that's John Bernthal says that explicitly. He says explicitly that we want to show that he's like a complicated person, that he does care for his family. He's a very good family man, blah, 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 blah. So I know that they're trying to do that. I don't think it's mutually exclusive that a, a man who cares for his family is a redeemable character. I'm Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they are, well, yeah, I guess we, I guess that's, um, uh, I, I guess I can't know what their true intent is, whatever, but that's how it reads to me. Um, I will say the, I thought the acting was great in this episode. Yeah. Like it was fantastic. The, it didn't, it didn't like come off as like over the top to me. Like it had the past couple episodes. Uh, so the scenes, so these are the scenes that we get with Jenkins. We get the car chase, which we talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, Jenkins and the task force take money from the two guys in their car at night. Asks, um, asks I think the guy's being interviewed by the FBI to like move the car up, whatever, block the, um, the uh, camera. Uh, Jenkins, oh yeah, he runs somebody over. And then has a sergeant come and plant a gun. Um, then we have the stripper scene, which is interesting. Real. <laughs> which is real. Which, which um, yeah, is like, again, that's one of those things. I think we talked about this, too, when in the first episode. Sometimes you hear people talk about real stories, mm-hmm. and they're like, listen, we had to fictionalize it because you just wouldn't believe the true story. And it's like, no, I think I would. I think that's your out to not have to tell right. the 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 standard story. And this definitely to me is like proof of that where I feel like that's, this is one story people would be like, oh, you can't include that because no one will believe it's true. Uh, and they're like, no, we, 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 we have to. This is right. Well, yeah. And uh, Fenton, even in his, I was going through his timeline before he started live tweeting the show, and he, he said something along the lines of, uh, "If it if it wasn't true, something happens in this episode that that nobody would that people would say we were going over the top with." And I think that could apply to the stripper scene. I think it could very much also apply to this next scene where they're opening the safe, and then they start video. They set up the whole thing and videotape themselves afterwards. Uh, which is also real. Yeah. And did you watch the video of it? Yeah. Yeah. He's got the video on his um, on his Twitter. Yep. Which is which is great, and it's and I I thought the scene itself, um, with hey, Bernthal. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. All right. Hey, hold on, hold on. Give me help. It's so <laughs> funny too because. <laughs> You can just tell that they're acting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, just by that wait, little wait. bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so obvious that these guys are f- f- covering something up. Um, but I also thought that the 
the scene itself in the show was a really great example of like an actor acting like a civilian who's trying to act. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I really like that scene a lot. Yeah. Uh, And then finally we have the Rite Aid uh, scene where Jenkins catches some people coming out of the Rite Aid with drugs, tells them to skedaddle. And then I don't know if you necessarily get this impression from the show, but then reading I think the timeline or whatever afterwards, he actually goes into the Rite Aid and gets even more drugs and puts them in the bags and then takes him to, um, is his name Don, whatever the bail bondsman. And he, and, and, and in that, in that, in that, in that exchange, he's calling the looters animals, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like the dissonance is, and that's, I guess also is one of those things where it's like, they, I'm a, they're like taking some liberties there because um Jen, so I also listened to a podcast from the BBC. Um where are they now? Yeah, well BBC. so they interview Jenkins. Uh and this was before Stay on your side of the pond. <laughs> this was what I say. This was before the show came out and it's strange because that that episode of their podcast matches up like a lot with this episode. They talk very specifically about a lot of the stuff that happens in this episode. But Jenkins denies that that happens altogether. He said he never took any drugs, never um, did any sort of fencing or anything like that with the bail bondsman. And apparently that all that testimony is coming from the bail bondsman himself who's saying that that stuff happened. But Jenkins denies I wonder where it. the bail bondsman is. He's in jail. Uh, okay, to wrap it up, the damning implication of We Own This City is that Wayne is a super cop, the guy out there making big arrests and seizures and standing beside his fellow officers. He's not the rotten apple spoiling the bunch, but the most glaring representative of a department so corrupt that the attorneys can't even prosecute the cases that are brought to them. Um, And I thought that... I think... One of the others, the things that comes up a lot with this, I think this write-up, but also came up in the in the um, podcast itself, is that bad apples phrase. And it se- it's interesting because it seems like that, whenever that phrase is used when it comes to cops, it's always like, well, it's just a, they're just a, there's just a few bad apples, right? Mm-hmm. But this phrase is that the uh, one bad apple spoils the, the bunch. bunch. <laughs> you can't just leave <laughs> off the second part. Like the entire point is that if you have one bad apple, it ruins everything else. Yeah. Yeah. The, do you, can, can I get your read really quickly on the, I'm going to show my ass again here. Police commissioner. Oh, the, Kevin the, Davis, I think his name is. Who is talking to Steele mainly. Uh-huh. The, what, what, what's your feeling on him? Do you feel like that, that he is probably well-intentioned but handcuffed by a corrupt system or that he is kind of a slimy guy who's a politician and knows how to deflect where he needs to and uh, and 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 just keep the status quo? Yeah, I, I mean, my I guess my feeling towards him is he's seems to be played so neutral to me that it, almost like with Steele, he's just kind of there for exposition. And so I think you could read it kind of any way you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And 
to me, it just seems like. Yeah, for, for me, it's one of those things where, like, Herschel. Yeah. It's like my my instinct is to just take that as all the evidence I need. Like, oh, that guy's still on under your watch? Then you don't really mean what you say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, that's. But I mean, obviously, it's more complicated than that. Exactly, because he like- doesn't have the power to just fire somebody, because of unions and all that other stuff. But at the same time, this again goes back to the other stuff we were talking about. Is like you have, you know, you have. Let's say Jenkins is the only bad cop. He's the only cop doing bad things, right? But you then have everyone in his unit who's aware that he's doing bad things which means that they're complicit in that in some form or the other, which means they're not great cops, right? Because that means you're complicit, and that means Souter, right, is just as guilty as Jenkins in putting a guy in jail for 15 years that shouldn't be there, you know? Even though, you know, all he did was just find the drugs, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. But the fact that... The fact that Jenkins... And a, a a cop like that can exist means that he's not just a bad apple. It means there are so many people in the department that are willing to look past it and to uh, do the same thing that you literally can't do anything about it. You know what I mean? So that's why the whole system is just fucked. You can't do anything about it, you know? Um. There's a, there was an, oh, and that's the other thing too, is like, this is one, this is one city. This is happening in every (laughs) major city in the country. I guarantee it. Yeah. And, and I, what I love about this episode is I think it digs into detail in a way that's, that's more subtle than it's been done before. And the three scenes that stand out to me is number one, when Jenkins and all of them are talking about overtime Mm -hmm. and you're like. Yeah, these police budgets. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, these are the guys who are like, hey, tomorrow we're working eight to four, but we're showing up at two. Mm-hmm. But when we show up, we find those guns, we work, we, we, ju- they don't care, right? Because yeah. they don't, like, you advocate for as much money as you can get in any state's budget. And then you just work to whatever that limit is and push it until to its breaking point. You know what I mean? Right. So, number one, I was totally thinking about that and being like, absolutely. Why wouldn't you be like, wait, what's this system? And and how much overtime can I get? And then let me just milk that cow. And that's all taxpayer money, you know? Yeah. So, number one, police budgets. I think about that. I think about the um, uh, the court scene where... Right. People are getting dismissed because they feel prejudicial against the Baltimore police because of their treatment in the past. And then you realize, like, all that's left are probably the Blue Lives Matter people. Right. You're like, oh, yeah. I can be objective. Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, Blue Lives Matter, <laughs> as if that's right. objective. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that was something else I had to note about, too, is... Um, Again, maybe they tackle this in one of the two episodes that remain, but to me, the focus on that on that seems to be like 
you're eroding the public's trust so much that we we can't get a fair jury or we're, we're you know, it's impossible to get a, a jury or whatever. Which, like you said, that leaves only the Blue Lives Matter people left. But to me, the 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 show seems to be hitting it more on the head of, well, I guess, I don't know, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. So that does make sense to me. But it seems interesting to me that, you know, that all these people are being knocked out of the um, jury, so it so it would so it's hard to prosecute these cases, and then um, none of the cops from the Freddie Gray incident were like uh, convicted of anything, right? They all went free, like zero charges, you know. <clears throat> so it's like some people are still getting through, and like you said, yeah, I guess it's the Blue Lives Matter group. Yeah, um, you're the only ones who can stand up and be like. I'm not prejudicial, but I am towards the other side. And then the last thing that I want to mention, just the other scene, is the is the protest scene. Mm -hmm. I think it all culminates in like, yeah, this is how these protests operate, you know. And you're you're tapping into everyone's collective outrage and their their experiences of this corrupt system, and you can't sit there and just, you know like say this is corrupt this is a corrupt system mm-hmm. and then when people protest like you know freak out about it yeah and I, again i found myself like almost treating this like a documentary <laughs> like even in the side actors of the police standing there like looking for their eyes for some flicker <laughs> of recognition of like we're uh, the bad guys right like, we are the bad guys <laughs> we're just standing out here and then you know, Jen- Jenkins with his like gung ho, and right. then what does he do? He just goes and stands on the line. Right. <laughs> so yeah. You're just a joke, man. Right. You guys are jokes. Um, something else I wanted to talk about to your earlier point about the overtime and all that. I wasn't sure if this was if this was purposeful or if it's just like the typical um affluence you see in like hbo shows like every hbo show is about rich people who are like unknowingly rich you know what i mean it's like the typical hbo show is sent in like a a new york penthouse or whatever Mm. but the characters are supposed to be just like your everyday regular people you know um so there's a lot of focus on the show, at least from Jenkins' point, about money, making money, how he needs more money, how you know we're going to get as much overtime as we can. We're gonna, um, you know, he's selling all these drugs, blah, blah blah. In that scene with the bail bondsman, they're at his house, Jenkins' house, right? I'm pretty sure the bail bondsman meets Jenkins at his house mm-hmm. and they go and do their business. They they're talking about stuff and they're on a boat dock on a lake. He, there's this really nice two story house in the background. It's like, it doesn't look like you're struggling that much, buddy. It seems like you're doing pretty good for yourself, you know? Um, so I don't, the, the money thing seems strange to me. And then on that, that bad cop podcast, the BBC podcast, like the very first thing Jenkins says when he opens, he answers, he calls the lady and the conversation starts. The very first thing he says is, I want people to know that I had no money. 
I was I was I was not making money off of this. I was broke. I didn't have this. I didn't have this and blah blah blah. blah. So it's like I just don't like there's like a there's like a uh there's like a discrepancy there that I can't wrap my head around cuz it seems like you're doing pretty good for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I I that that's interesting just cuz I have no connection to the real life situation yeah i would be interested to to know like how detailed they got and if they stand by the fact like oh no jenkins lived in a very affluent neighborhood right and and that jenkins is representing him himself in in comparison Mm -hmm. that he was maybe looking at his higher ups and being like yeah i didn't have you know a mansion with a smaller mansion in the backyard right i just had a regular mansion yeah uh okay and then to this point earlier uh asked why cops lying in court are still allowed to serve on the force the commissioner kevin davis gives a convincing account of the tug of war between the state's attorney office and his predecessors nicole accepted accepts it as true but also considers it another example of how davis is wriggling out of accountability himself uh again we've talked about this I feel like Davis and Steele are 100% just exposition pieces. Just this is what the show is about. We're just going to make sure you don't miss Me- it. Mentally, it's like as any of their scenes, they just do a freeze frame and they just <laughs> scroll text over their faces for, yeah. the, for the scene and then the it picks up when when they're done yeah so when the protests start happening there's a scene where jenkins is is running around the um precinct and he's he's he talks about he's going to send an email out did you read the email yeah and all the misspellings in there there's a lot of misspellings but specifically there's a line that says could someone please set up and support each and every unit in our department and ensure that everyone 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 donates no more greediness but what does he say well, I like how he says, I'll be collecting right. the, the, the right. money. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, he, he, in the email, he says, I'll be collecting all the donations. Oh, I, Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, will collect all donations from the SEC unit, SES unit. Did you get the impression? I tried to look this up. I couldn't find anything, which to me means it didn't happen. Did you get the impression he was doing that to just keep the money for himself? I mean, it 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 definitely brought up that that possibility. I also love the fact that he's like, everyone. I feel like everyone should give five hundred dollars. <laughs> right. Like, like that was the other thing about yeah, the money thing, yeah, yeah. where it's like if your baseline is five hundred dollars, you're pretty good. Oh, you're, like you're, you're set. Way better. <laughs> if that to you is like, I just need to f- throw out five hundred dollars. You're good. Yeah. It like like number one is that, and it makes me feel like in real life. It's like he just lost like you know $5,000 gambling and he's like okay if I get just you know 10 people to give me 500 bucks I'll pay that back. So yeah. that's my target. Yeah. It's so specific. Yeah. Um okay, last thing I've got is this comment from Reddit that I thought was a pretty good critique and it's along the lines of what we were talking about with Nicole Steele and Kevin Davis. Uh, from GW2Master. Show's good, but boy, do they think little of their audience. They're so unsubtle, and at so many points, they spell out exactly what's happening with speeches. They frequently have scenes that portray their point, then end with them with one person unnecessarily spelling out exactly what you were supposed to get out of that scene. 
It's particularly egregious in scenes involving those in the civil rights office. For example, when Nicole Steele talked to the officer who was put out to pasture, and in this episode when she explained everything almost in complete sentences as if writing a school essay to Ahmed after talking to Commissioner Davis. Another example, they really hammered it too much in that scene in the prosecutor's office with Sean Souter, where the prosecutor gave us the cliff notes at the end of the conversation. The jury selection scene pretty much already made the point. Most of these are not that big of a deal on their own, but when this happens over and over again, I end up feeling lectured to instead of organically feeling slash seeing the points they want to make. Um, And again, I think some of that is just a byproduct of it only being six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think that person has a valid point. Yeah. I think I, I feel bad because I've said this before. I really, really do love the actress. But, yeah. But when she's on screen, I do find myself just kind of clicking off a little bit mentally because mm-hmm. I know it's, it is just going to reinforce everything right. that I've, right. I'm picking up on. Okay. Uh, and then there's one last thing. Did you see, uh, did you see Trump weighed in on this episode? No. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. <laughs> He was really upset, I guess. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm interested to hear more from him if he's talking like this. <laughs> I'm gonna check out one of yeah. his rallies. All right, well that's all I've got. Okay. Um, do you want to do a quick check in on uh Under the Banner of Heaven? Sure. Okay. I have not watched anymore. Okay. And I don't think we're going to watch anymore. Really? Yeah, yeah. see I said this to you and and this is what I'll say. I am going to finish this, especially because it is a one-off. It's mm-hmm. not going to have a season two or yeah. anything like that. Um, but man, it it feels it every feel second feels like a minute. Yeah. And I told you this. I think it's absolutely true. In the last episode that I watched, if you like came in my house, paused it, put a million dollars in front of me, you're like. Have you been watching this longer than 20 minutes? I'd be like, are you kidding? Like, give me that money. Yeah, yeah I have. It's almost kidding? over. It's right. like 40 minutes. Yeah. I'd been watching it 17. Right. And I was like, my God, I yeah. really felt like I've been on a journey. But I do think that does speak to some of the strengths. Like, it feels like a meal. Yeah. It's a real heavy show. Um, well, and that's one thing I will say about We Own This City is... I've never felt that way with that show. Never. It's like, and even with all these complaints and even with the times I do feel like I'm just being lectured. It's quick. It's it like does a feel like it. it goes by quick and I am still like excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw that Will Meneker, did you see his tweet about Under the Banner of Heaven? He loves it, right? Yeah. He compared it to the first season of True Detective. True Detective. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I'm definitely not, not, not there. Yeah. But, um. But I and I think I connected more with the family stuff than you did. Mm-hmm. I think definitely that kind of religious family mm-hmm. that, that I I understood that a little more clearly and was a little more connected to it. Yeah. The the oh the one critique I will say about the show that I have is it's all about this man questioning his faith. Right. But what's causing him to question his faith is like this weird family that killed <laughs> killed each other. <laughs> It's right. Like, yeah. and, and, and it's these brothers who are handcuffed 
in a in a room. Yeah. And they're just like, they're really weird. Yeah. And after every conversation, he's like, oh God. Right. They're clearly extremists. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look at who's making you question your faith. I just yeah. don't buy that. Like, you're not selling me right. that these weird brothers yeah. would shake this faithful man to his core. Um the other thing I wanted to mention, a show that I fully endorse. Well, it's not over yet. I might mm-hmm. regret that. But The Baby mm-hmm. on HBO. Have you... We watched the first episode. We watched the first episode and Julia was like... Like <laughs> Like, push it off like... Yeah, she wasn't into it. So uh, I'll have because to... Because it's more horror or just I think like so. The, okay. I think that's the... The nightmare scene where the baby turns into a demon for briefs, I think that really was the breaking point. <laughs> Not the lady falling from the cliff. Nope. <laughs> it's filmed really well, right? Like I think it's it's yeah. interestingly shot. Um, it's only twenty like five minute episodes. Yeah, I will say this, and this might be a little bit of like a Chris take. Watching it and like just like the physical appearance of everyone in the show. <laughs> I was like, are these, is, I didn't are know. these just, is just the British actor norm? <laughs> I didn't know I'd be recording with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I'm crying, not proud of it. Okay. After I'm not proud this. of it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I remember when movie stars used to look like stars. Uh, now, they, now they look like normal people. With spaces in their teeth. Sure. <laughs> it just caught me off guard. That's all. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, I'm just no. saying, when we make a TV show about Mormon cops, we get Andrew Garfield to play the cop, who I understand is British, right? But I'm just saying. I'm just saying it caught me off guard. I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It just. It's it, a bad thing. But sure. My take is a Go bad thing. Sure. I'm just it just caught me off guard. Like um yeah, a, a, anything else? Are you watching anything else? You were reading something, right? Um well, I finished Evelyn Hardcastle. Yeah. Which I thought was fine. It's too long. Especially for what it ends up being, it just, I just felt like it's too long. Yeah. Um, and I'm slowly working through that Banford's fo- uh, folly Banford's book. Folly. Yeah. That's uh, it. I'm Julia's watching a lot of Z-Way. Oh, Showtime. Yeah. She's, She's like a talk show. Yeah. It's fine.